big Harry Potter fan, love Harry Potter. Uh, I was so wounded by the fact that the two football teams that I hate more than anyone, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs, were playing in the national championship that I actually watched Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix that night and went to bed at 10 p.m. And, uh, and I felt like that was a really great compromise because I love Harry Potter. But one of the things about Harry Potter that I just can't get over because I just, it speaks to me, is Harry, you know, living... By the way, if, these are, if we're spoiling things for you with Harry Potter, I mean, it's pretty late to the game. So, um, <laughs> Harry living under the stairs in a cupboard at his uh, aunt and uncle's house that were abusive toward him, and he has no idea that he is a wizard. And, uh, and these things happen, and when these letters start coming, and especially when Hagrid, if you know that scene when Hagrid is talking to him, and he just can't believe that Harry doesn't know, like, he's like, you're the boy who lived, you know. Um, Harry coming to this realization that he is a wizard, to me, just blows my mind. And I, I connect with it so much um, because uh, I am prone often to forget my identity. And um, this passage tonight that we're reading in Genesis chapter 2 um, if, if the letters that came from Hogwarts to Harry telling him that he was a wizard made sense of Harry's life, like had explanatory power for why he was who he was, I think that this passage tonight in Genesis 2 has that same kind of explanatory power for us to help us to understand who we are and why we exist in the first place. Um, it, I think it can be that um, life altering, if we are awake to ourselves and we're awake to this word, it can change us in much the same way. So I'm going to read it. I believe that this is God's word. This is actually God speaking to us. And so uh, let's give our attention to it. I'm just going to kind of skip around a little bit. Uh, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then chapter two, starting in verse four. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Down to verse 14. uh, Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. It's a pretty cool job, just naming stuff. Uh, The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, uh, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's the word of the living God. I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to us through it. Father, thank you so much um, uh, for tonight, for the opportunity to be here together. We thank you and praise you for Appalachian State, uh, for this wonderful home for us, for this time um, of our lives. And Lord, I ask that you would bless this place, um, that um, this would be a place of delight for students, faculty, staff, and all who interact with it. And Lord, we thank you that we can take some time in the middle of the week to hear from your word. Lord, people, all of us tonight are coming from different places, and yet you know each of us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that we would see Jesus and know that from him comes mercy. And we pray in his name. Amen. Um, Harry found out who he was when the letters came from Hogwarts. Discovering your identity and who you are and what you were made to be help, allows you to thrive. Another example that I love is Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear was operating under the delusion that he was, in fact, a space ranger. And he was out of accord with reality and failing at life because that laser was just a light, right? And the wings didn't actually take him where he needed to be. And what I love about Toy Story is that, Toy Story 1, they're all great, but is that over the course of the movie, Buzz begins to discover who he actually is, that he's actually, in fact, a toy. And when he finds out that he's a toy and that he belongs to Andy, he's Andy's toy, he begins to thrive and have life and to really be who he is, to live purposefully and with joy. Um, he was made to bring joy and delight to Andy. That was his job. And he began to thrive when he realized that. In Genesis 2, this passage that we just read, it seems probably sort of innocuous if you've been around the Bible or church and you've heard this stuff before. But Genesis 2 does just that for us. It tells us who we are and why we exist. And the first thing it tells us is who we are. And who we are, as humans, what our fundamental place on the earth is that we are God's image bearers. God created human beings in his image. That's the first thing on the sheet there. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Well, the first people who received the book of Genesis would have been God's people, Israel. They had just been saved from Egypt and they were wandering around in the wilderness. And they would have known all about what it meant to have an image because they were just in Egypt. And all throughout Egypt, just like in all kinds of ancient um, uh, nations, there were images all over the place of Pharaoh. Everywhere you went, there would be a statue of Pharaoh, and it was to remind you, or whatever place you were in, there would be a statue of the ruler. And it was to remind you, this is Pharaoh's kingdom, right? Everywhere you went, you said, this place belongs to Pharaoh, and my relationship is to Pharaoh. Um, God made each of us, made human beings, to uniquely put him on display to the world and do the same thing. 
that through human beings we would declare that this creation belongs to God and that He made us. We actually are um, kind of like, <laughs> you know, in Star Wars when, uh, when R2-D2 is playing that, that, uh, that hologram, right, of Princess Leia, right? And he's showing a picture of Princess Leia to communicate to other people what Leia wants to say. That's who we are. We are God's image on the earth. People are God's masterpiece in the creation. We're not just part of of the animal kingdom, we are a special masterpiece. And the good news of Jesus, if you come to RUF long enough, you're going to hear this thing that we call the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And what Jesus is doing in his people is restoring that image. We're going to talk about this more next week, but that image that God has created us in has become broken and marred over time. In a lot of ways, just like the whole message from Princess Leia couldn't play until R2-D2 was fixed, Jesus is restoring the image of God in us. And part of the reason I wanted to study the first few chapters of Genesis with y'all is because when you come to a place like RUF or into the church, um, you hear a lot like that God loves you, right? You may hear a lot that Jesus died for your sins, and that sounds good, and like we're hopeful in that, but we don't really know what to do with that, or how to live, or what we're supposed to be. We're like, I know Jesus loves me, but how am I supposed to keep living my life? How, what am I supposed to do in class with my roommates and any of that? And what Jesus was doing at the cross, when we say he died for us and was raised for us, he did that to bring us back to being in God's image, to restore God's image in us, to bring you back to dignity and purpose. I was listening to an interview on the radio yesterday from a doctor who is uh, fighting the opioid epidemic. And uh, it's really important to him because his son died from a heroin overdose. He had gotten addicted to to prescription drugs and and ended up dying from heroin. And uh, his son was named, was Adam aptly. And uh, he spoke about his son's time in rehab. You know, this addiction had basically taken over his son. I mean, his son was not, did not have the dignity that he had as like an individual pursuing his dreams, right? He was sort of controlled by this addiction. And he didn't have the, uh, the, uh, the purpose, you know, like his purpose in life. He wasn't going after the things he wanted to because he was stuck with this addiction. And he talked about his son's time in rehab and that his son had gotten clean and was free from the addiction for a time. And what he said was, he said, when he got clean, it was amazing. Adam was back with us again. Like his son had been there all the time, but when he got clean from this addiction, somehow Adam came back to him. His image was restored. And Jesus is doing that in us. He's restoring our dignity and purpose as being created in God's image. Uh, I love, if you know me, you know I love Kendrick Lamar. And um, everything about Kendrick is amazing and wonderful. Um, one of the true artists of our time. But um, what I, part of what I really appreciate about Kendrick is that he's very honest about showing us as humans like the beauty and like the dignity and what's good about being a human and like what's evil and nasty. Like he's, he shows both those things, the brokenness and, and the beauty. And in DNA, um, the song DNA... Uh, I, well, everyone's like like laughing, but everybody likes Kendrick, right? So we're good. Okay. Um, uh, in DNA, and he's talking about people that want to de- that want to dehumanize him as a black man, and especially as a hip hop artist. 
But, you know, he says in the first line, he says, I've got loyalty, got royalty, right, inside my DNA. And he's saying that, like, part, on the one hand, it's a, he, everything with Kendrick is like a double meaning. On the one hand, he's saying, I've got royalty in my DNA as a person of African heritage. Like, I come from a royal lineage. And, like, you have to respect that and take it seriously. But he's also, as a Christian person, saying, I have royalty in my DNA because I was created in God's image and that's true of every human being that you have royalty royal blood in you because you were created in God's image so that's that's who we are that God created us in his image as special image bearers to the world but what are we supposed to do with that like what does that mean like how do I live life with that knowledge why do we exist how do we image God and I want to say three things about that let's just say why that's who we are. This is why we are. The first is this. You were made to know God. Every person here and every person that has ever existed was created by God to know Him primarily. If you look in verse 7, there in the middle of that first paragraph, um, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. If you think about it, God could have created human beings any way he wanted to, right? He could have created them, and and it's kind of weird he creates them from the dust. That's like, that seems strange. But what he does is he fashions Adam, the, the first person, out of the ground, and then he breathes into him the breath of life. He breathes, it's, it's, it's sort of like CPR. It's like super intimate language that he's close to Adam in that way. It, this is a silly example, but it reminds me of Squints from Sandlot. If you're, everyone's like, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Sandlot, come to my house, we'll watch Sandlot together. Or to Garrett's house, because he's a big fan. Um, but there's this scene where Squints, who's like this little scrawny kid with glasses, he's like in love with the lifeguard. What's the lifeguard's name? Wendy Peppercorn. Wendy Peppercorn, <laughs> exactly. And she's like, it's weird, because then they get married, but she's like 10 years older than him, at least. That's right. <laughs> yeah. In the early 90s, yeah. Um, but Squince loves Wendy Peppercorn. She's so out of his league. And so he dives into the pool. She's a lifeguard. And he just waits at the bottom of the pool, right, until she comes and rescues him. And then she puts him on the side of the pool. And then she starts performing CPR on him, right? Like she's mouth to mouth. And the first thing that Squince sees when he opens his eyes, obviously, is Wendy Peppercorn's face. And that's a silly example, but... It's this intimate thing, right? Uh, the uh, pastor, a friend of mine, just said a couple of Sundays ago, and it stuck with me so much. He said, when God breathed the breath of life into humanity, the first face that we saw was God's. When we opened our eyes in Adam to existence, what was looking at us was God in an intimate position with us. You were made to know God. And if you don't know God, I don't, you know, I, I don't want you to hear like me or someone else saying like, well, then, you know, that you just don't know anything about life. I'm not saying that. Like, it's not like you cease to be a human person if you're here tonight and you're trying to figure out what's going on with God. But what this text is telling us is that if you don't know God, you're not yet knowing life in its fullness, in its fullest sense of what it, it can be. You were made to be alive to God. Um, And if your life with Jesus, if you're here and you're a Christian, if your life with Jesus is somehow stifling you, 
or making your world more narrow, making things more black and white, and making things less complex and complicated, if the, if the lows aren't quite as low and the highs aren't quite as high than before, then I'm not really sure whether you yet are knowing Jesus very well. Because to know God, being alive to God, widens the spectrum of our experience greatly. Because we become alive to the one who made us. The sorrows of life in the world are more true and real when you really know Jesus. And the beauties of life in this world are far fairer when we know Jesus. Jesus is restoring us to God. He's restoring us to the fullness of the life that we have to be created by God and to know Him. You were made to know God, but you were also made for good work. God made you to work, to do stuff. If you look in verse 5, I love this. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. And it says, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. There was no person there to work the ground. When God created everything, He created it to not function all the way that it's supposed to without human beings cultivating the land. Does that make sense? Like, there was a sense that there had never been any humans, then the world would not be cultivated in the way that God wanted it to be. That The plants would not have sprung up. They wouldn't have been as beautiful or full or rich. And that, of course, just makes, like, I, I really appreciate those of you that are, like, sustainable uh, development majors. Because reading that just makes the human destruction of the environment that much more tragic and, yes, ungodly to be destroying what God has made instead of cultivating. Because if you look in verse 15, you see it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God created Adam and put him in this special garden to work it, to bring forth its bounty and its fullness, to cultivate, to take care of what God made. God made you to bring the world to its fullest beauty. And here's what that means for you. Um, That means that God made you with a purpose and with purpose. Like you just don't exist and you're just making your way through. God created you so that you could be engaged mind, body, and soul into work that really matters. Work is not a result of sin in the world. Like we don't go to work because something's wrong. We go to work because something is right with us. God made us to work. But sometimes, you know, when you're like studying for a stats exam, you know, or you're like working at Central, you know, um, Caroline Egan is here, like, hold tight. Um, it, work can feel like mind numbing toil, like the opposite of purpose is going to work. Like sometimes work, I always think about work sometimes feels like if you like have a load of laundry and like you take it out of the dryer and then like you turn around and then you like you drop a sock. And then, like, you bend down to pick up the sock, but then, like, the shirt falls off the top. So you have the sock, but you don't have the shirt, you know, and then you get the shirt, and then the sock goes again. Like, that's what work feels like to us. And we're going to look again next week at what happened to make the world not function as it's supposed to. But we were created to work. In Ephesians 2.10, I put this on your, your handout. You can look at it if you want to. puts it so beautifully in terms of our purpose because like what like you're in college because you're trying to find a purpose because you want to make a difference 
Like you want to do something that matters, that you can be engaged in, that's not just tedium. And Ephesians 2, 10, later after Jesus in the New Testament says, um, for we are his workmanship, we are God's workmanship. And the word there means like a craftsman, like his, his like the thing that he's been working on the most, his workmanship, his craftsmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus made you, and if you know Jesus, he saved you, because he has purpose and work for you to do that matters in the world. And my question for you is, if you know Jesus, is your relationship with Jesus pushing you further into meaningful work? Is it pushing you to do the thing that you know, that you're just realizing, like, it's going to be very difficult and require a lot of me, but I think it really matters. Is, is knowing Jesus pushing you toward that? It should be. Because, look, it's a beautiful thing to provide for a family, and, it's, and you should do that. And a lot of you um, are let's looking for, I just want a job where I can provide for my family. That's a wonderful, beautiful thing, and you should definitely do that if you have a family. Definitely provide for them if you can. Um, but that doesn't have to be all that work is. How can you cultivate the world and bring about beauty and goodness in the world? That's our job. That's our purpose. Part of our purpose is being created in God's image. Jesus restores to his people the desire and ability to live a life of purpose, to do something that matters. To, to use another Harry Potter illusion, to take us from working like creature, right, who says, like, oh, I have ever lived to serve the Honorable House of Black, but he hates it, right, to working like Dobby, right, after he gets the sock, right? Dobby is working, giving his full effort, his literally his body and soul, into working for something that matters, for the resistance. <laughs> to... I just feel like we're not as fired up about their resistance right now against Voldemort as we should be. That's okay. Um, and the last thing is this. You were, you were made to know God and you were made to work, to do good work. And the third thing is this. You were made to know other people. Okay? Um, God made you to know other people. Your primary function on the earth is not as an individual, but as a member of community and of different kinds of community. You know, if you look in verse 18, the one thing, you know, if, if you were here last week, we talked about God creating the heavens and the earth and over everything he said, it was good. There was one thing that God created and after it, he said, it's not good. And it's in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. There was one person, his name was Adam. And God looked at the situation and said, you know, that is not quite right. Things are not working the way they are supposed to. Isolation was not okay because God created you to know other people. Community is required for humanity to be right and complete and good in God's sight. Men and women together image God. If you you look at the beginning of the passage there, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then later on, you know, in verse 18 and following, there's this account of there's not a, a helper that's fit for Adam. There's nothing that correlates to Adam right. He names the animals, but nothing goes with him to complete humanity until God makes this woman named Eve, this woman that goes along with him, because men and women together image God. Now, here's what you probably don't know, and that's in the most ancient creation myths, um, 
men and women would have been created from different things, right? Like the man was usually created out of something that was more respectable or valuable, and the woman was created out of something that was lesser or less valuable. And it was to establish some sort of hierarchy between men and women. But what God shows us here by creating Adam and then creating Eve, the woman, from Adam's body is that there is a radical equity and equality of personhood between men and women. That our maleness and our femaleness as humanity together joins to show the world God, to image God. Men and women together image God. Our maleness and our femaleness, though for some of us it is harder to understand what that means for us. We need to recognize that. For some of us, it doesn't, doesn't feel that normal, just like my stuff is lining up with my biology, okay? We need to be aware of that. But our maleness and our femaleness are not arbitrary, but they are beautiful aspects of our humanity. And they are to be celebrated and honored and lived fully to the degree that we can. Something, one, of part, one of the parts of my job is that I visit a lot of churches, to speak and talk about RUF and talk about how great you guys are. And, um, and something that my wife often says when we go to a church is like, we'll meet, this, we'll meet tons of people and there'll be like one random guy. And she's like, oh, Tom, he was great. And I'm like, he said, that seemed random. Like I, you know. And she's like, no, he was great. Tom was great because he treated me like, like a human. And I'm always like, at first I didn't know what she, what she meant by that. And after asking and her helping me understand, she would say, you know, usually when I go, especially in a church... As a woman, she would say, um, most men either treat me like a child or they treat me like a threat, right? Like they have to help educate me or like they can't get too close to me because that might be awkward for them. And she's like, you know, Tom, he just treated me like I was like the same as him. And I like that. Um, Because my wife recognizes that she was created by God with equal dignity and honor and beauty as men. And she expects men, especially men who know Jesus, to treat her that way. And my question is, do you celebrate the beauty and dignity of men and women and how you speak and how you treat one another? Do you respect men and women? Because look, you were made to know other people and I was made to know other people. You are not primarily an individual, like I said, but the member of a community, and I love how Adam sings. Now, there's, there's a lot of romance to this because this woman that's created will be Adam's wife. Um, but really, it's just on a basic level, there's a, he sings a song. He writes this like the first song written. When this person comes, because he realizes, I correspond to this person, and they're like me, and I'm now in community with her. He sings a song. This is that last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, because the Hebrew for man and woman is like ish and isha, right? They sound... Like she was taken out of man. But there's just a basic celebration and enjoyment from Adam of just being with another human being. And that's how God made us, to celebrate being with one another. And God calls them to be fruitful so there will be more humans to be in community with. And here's what that means for you, and we'll bring it down on this. That means that your isolation, and I know there's lots of reasons for it, um, And I'm sensitive to the reasons for it. And we should be sensitive to each other's reasons for why we choose to be in isolation. And we should pursue one another in isolation. But your isolation or your surface level only friendships are inhibiting you from being who God created you to be. 
Like you are not functioning fully as a human. When you make every conversation about yourself, you're missing out on God's purpose for you in that other person. You are not your whole self when you are alone. And that's why you feel lonely. Because you weren't created to be alone. It's not good to be alone. When you can't accept a compliment from another person, because there's nothing more terrifying than another person complimenting us, right? It's like, they could criticize me, just don't like, tell me I did something good. Um, when you can't accept a compliment from another and are more terrified of someone celebrating you than criticizing you, um, you're not properly human. That means that you're not experiencing the fullness of who you are. You were made to thrive in meaningful relationship with other people. And let me tell you, it's, it's complicated, but it's beautiful. God wants you to thrive with others. Go to the intern study on relationships. Um, dive in. Go to a community group. Grab lunch with somebody that seems like they're sort of lonely. Jesus is restoring us to each other. Um, and the last word I want to give to you on um, what it looks like for Jesus to be restoring us, and we're going to talk about this more, um, is I won't give you anything away, but I love Sherlock, the show Sherlock, um, the Benedict Cumberbatch version. It's incredible. Um, but I won't give anything away, but there's this scene where um, John Watson, Dr. Watson, or uh, Bilbo Baggins, however you know him, um, he's talking about his wife. Um, and this applies to our relationship with Jesus. It applies to marriages. It applies to deep and real friendships. But he says this about his wife. He says, she saw who I could be. Then she taught me how to become that person. Uh, and that has stuck with me. Jesus created you to know him and he is teaching you now bit by bit how to be the person he made you to be that's jesus's restoration of us he's allowing us to lead lead the life we were made to live to know god to have purpose and to know one another let's pray jesus thank you so much that you know us and that you're at work in us thank you that you made us lord teach us what it means to have dignity and honor as those that are made in your image Help us to move toward you, to move toward work, and to move toward one another knowing that you want us to thrive in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.